Verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and who are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because, as, is, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Well, good morning. Uh, if you're joining us here for the first time today, it's great to have you with us. Uh, my name is Carl, I'm one of the pastors here, and as uh, Margaret said, we've been working through uh, this letter of 2 Timothy uh, and, uh, and listening to what God has to say to us about how we can live as his people and how we can live as his church uh, in the world. But let's pray and ask that God would help us to understand him and what he has to say to us before we dig into it. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that you're a speaking God, a God who 
has uh, revealed yourself to us uh, in your word and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask now that as we uh, reflect on these words that we've read, that you would make yourself known to us individually uh, and together, that we would know you and love you and know your love for us uh, and help us uh, to receive that love in Jesus Christ uh, and Lord, to uh, commit ourselves again uh, to living for him uh, and trusting in him. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I've got a question. Uh, has anyone ever been, was anyone here anyone, ever part of Scouts? Oh, really? Wow, that's interesting. I had no idea. No one over here. Something about uh, the, the left. Uh, does anyone know, okay, probably more of you will know the answer to this question. Does anyone know what the motto of the Scouts is? Be prepared. Uh, it's a great motto, actually, really. And even though clearly most of us we're never part of Scouts. Most of us probably live by that motto to some degree or other. Uh, whenever I go mountain bike riding, and no matter whether it's far away or whether it's just locally, uh, I always take a little bit of uh, kit with me just in case something goes horribly wrong because one time I didn't do that. Uh, one time I went out for a ride, I thought, it's only, it's only down to Cape Reed, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty easy. I went down and my foot slipped off the pedal uh, and I, I don't have those clip-in pedals, so I've got the spikes on the pedals. My foot slipped off the pedal, yeah, and it just the pedal came back at a rate of knots and just careered into my shin. And I looked down, and there was blood literally squirting out the front of my leg. Uh, and I had nothing with me. I had, no, I had no tissues or anything like that. And I thought, well, I've only just got here. I thought, I'm not riding all the way back home again just to clean that up. So I thought, I'll just keep riding and hope that it stops bleeding. Uh, anyway, so I, went, I, went, I kept riding for another hour or something like that. Eventually it stopped, I guess. By the time I got home, my, my sock was drenched in blood, and as was my shoe. Uh, and I thought, okay, maybe next time I'll carry some band-aids and carry some patches and whatever else. Uh, so now I do that. Uh, I carry something with me to be prepared for those unforeseen eventualities. And I'm guessing that lots of us do the same uh, in all kinds of areas of life. We've had those bad run-ins maybe, or maybe you just have the foresight that I didn't have, uh, and, and you prepare in advance for what might happen. So you go on a bushwalk and you take a first aid kit with you, you take extra water, whatever it is, you take warm clothes just in case uh, something happens. Be prepared, right? Most of us get that idea. But the problem, I think, is that for many of us as Christians is that while we get the being prepared for mountain bike riding or bushwalking or whatever it is, we get that we should be prepared in uh, the rest of our lives, we fail to realise how important it is for us to be prepared for life in the church. Now, you might think to yourself, well, why do I need to be prepared for life in the church? The church is the body of God's people, the family of God. We, we live uh, with this model of the church in our heads, I think, that expects the church to always be this wonderful model of the perfect family. And yet, most of us live in families that are not perfect families. Even if they're good families, real families, I mean, we recognise that even in the best families, there's disagreements, and arguments, and difficult days, and good days. 
And sometimes there can even be fights that, and disagreements that cannot be resolved for years and troubles that go on for a long time. The church is not perfect this side of eternity. And so we need to be prepared to live in the reality of the church as we find it and as we find it described in the Bible. So what I want to think about with you this morning is that question, how can you and I be prepared for life in the church as it is, with all its challenges and difficulties? Uh, How can we be prepared so that when those challenging times come, we don't leave the church or leave the faith, uh, or just let the church go on uh, uh, and and go to the dogs? How can we be prepared? So the first way I think that we can be prepared is by understanding the challenges that we face. Uh, What Paul says about the church here in this passage, I think, might surprise us. He says, first of all, that the church is a place of potentially disastrous arguments. Verse 14, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. We all know what that's like. Pointless arguments uh, about minute details that don't do any good, but actually erode people uh, and erode relationships. The church, Paul says, can also be a place of increasing ungodliness. Verse 15, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. There's the risk, increasing ungodliness because of this godless chatter. In addition to that, Paul says, it can also be a place where there are false teachers who are destroying the faith of some in the church. So it turns out that that godless chatter is not just gossip, but actually wrong teaching. So Paul says, he goes on in verse 17 to kind of expand on what he's saying. He says, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So Timothy is ministering in this church and there's these two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. 20 bucks to anyone who uses those baby names, just by the way. Uh, So here here they are, Hymenaeus and Philetus in the church uh, and they're teaching the wrong thing. Uh, And the, the particular thing that they're teaching that was wrong was that they were saying that the resurrection had already happened. Now you might think, oh, well, okay, that doesn't sound that bad, really, does it? The resurrection has already happened. Uh, But Paul says that actually this false teaching, this wrong teaching that that they're communicating, was actually destroying the faith of some people in the church and it was leading to more and more ungodliness. And what's so bad about this false teaching uh, that they have is, Paul says, it's like gangrene. Uh, The trouble with gangrene is that it spreads. You know, it starts in the toe, and then it spreads to the foot, and then it spreads up to the lower leg, uh, and it spreads up to the upper leg, and all the time you're trying to cut it off so that it stops spreading, but it just, if you don't get it in time, it just keeps going. It can be, it can be deadly. It spreads and it spreads, and Paul says that false teaching can be like that, teaching the wrong thing. 
about God and who he is and how we relate to God and who Jesus is, teaching the wrong thing can destroy the church and destroy people's faith. It's like gangrene. It spreads and it spreads. And you think, wow, gosh, what is the church like? Here it is. There's quarrels. There's increasing ungodliness, maybe. There's people who are teaching the wrong thing. This this is terrible. And Paul says, actually, it could even get worse than that. Chapter 3. He goes on to outline uh, that that, uh, there will be people in the church, he says to Timothy, uh, people who, when you look at them, you think, wow, these people are really godly. Superficially, they look wonderful, but actually underneath it turns out that they're proud, abusive, treacherous, lovers of themselves, uh, disobedient, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Uh, They're the kind of people who take advantage of the weak uh, and at the same time despise authority. So there they are, they're, they're in the middle, they're taking advantage of those who are weaker than them, and they're rejecting the authority of those over, the, over them as well. Paul says that these people, according to verse 8, are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. That is, they're not, they're not really Christians. And Paul is not suggesting that these people, these treacherous and corrupted people, he's not suggesting that they are to be found outside, out there, Paul says that Timothy should expect to find them at times in the church. You might find that uh, utterly extraordinary, uh, uh, utterly extraordinary, and extraordinarily depressing. <laughs> but actually, Paul says that's God's plan. Verse twenty: In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So perhaps you, like me, uh, have in your house a variety of different articles, different things. I have in my house some nice bowls, you know, some nice... They're not particularly special, just nice Maxwell Williams white plates that I, you know, that I get out, not the Target ones that I get out when mum and dad come to visit. Uh, they're nice dinner plates. I also have in my house a bucket that I use for mopping the floor and cleaning the toilet. You'll be glad to know, if you ever come to have dinner, that I don't eat out of the mop bucket and I don't clean the toilet using the dinner plates. In my house, I have different kinds of things. I have things that are for noble use, things that I use to eat from, and things that I use to clean the toilet and to mop the floor. And Paul is saying, actually, it's the same in the church, that God has vessels for noble use, that is, those there are in the church those people who belong to God, who are called according to his purpose, and then there are those who are for dishonourable use, that is, there are people in the church who do not belong to God. And we might find that confusing. We might think, well, how do I know who is who? But Paul says, God's not confused. 
Verse 19, the Lord knows those who are his. We might find it very confusing. But God knows who his people are. Well, often I think we, we portray the church as a place of profound love and grace. And it, it is. It is a place like that. At its best, the church is an extraordinary community of God. Paul says in Ephesians that through the church, God is displaying his power and his glory in the heavenly places. The church is an extraordinary community of God, and yet at the same time, this side of eternity, the church is a mixed church. Full of people who really belong to Christ, who really love him and trust him, and people who don't. It is both a place of rich, the rich grace of God, but potentially also a place of great conflict and great hardship, of godless chatter, of arguments that destroy the faith of some, of false teaching, and of people who are thoroughly corrupt, who oppose authority and take advantage of the weak. We never put that on our church websites, do we? We always have pictures of people who are so happy. But that's only one side of the reality of church. And if we're not prepared for the other side, we'll be very shocked when we find the reality that the New Testament describes in our own church and in our own church experience. So the first way that we can be prepared is just by knowing what the challenges are that we can face in the church. The second way that we can be prepared is by knowing how we should deal with that ourselves. How do we respond to that ourselves? And to that end, Paul says to Timothy in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So Timothy is to do his best, to work really hard, to present himself as an approved worker. And the key way that he does that is by, Paul says, correctly handling the word of truth. So unlike Hymenaeus and Alexander, whose teaching is like gangrene, Timothy is to be devoted to the true truth, the real truth. The word that Paul uh, uses here is, is often used uh, to refer to uh, cutting a straight path through a field or a forest. So, you know, you come upon a field uh, and you, you're trying to get to the other side. There's, there's two ways that you can do it. You can kind of, this is what I usually do, wander around trying to avoid all the puddles and not get your shoes dirty. Or you can head straight for the other side and not deviate at all. And that's a kind of idea that's kind of sitting in the background of what Paul's saying here. He's saying to, Paul's saying to Timothy, stick to the truth, head straight for it, and don't go sideways. Don't deviate. Stick with it. And that's 
the first way that we're to respond to the, the upheaval that we may see in the church about us. We're to stick to the truth. We're to head for it. We're not to look to the right or the left, but to keep going directly for it. The other way that we're to present ourselves as an approved worker, Paul says, is by turning away from wickedness, verse 19, and cleansing ourselves so that we might be fit for God's use. So verse 20, those who cleanse themselves from the latter, that is from dishonourable use, those who cleanse themselves from that will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So we're to make every effort to turn away from wickedness, to cleanse ourselves. Uh, We're to cleanse ourselves so that instead of being the toilet, the mop bucket, the toilet bucket, instead of being that, we're we're a dinner plate. You know, you might think to yourself, gosh, I hope, Carl, you're not thinking of turning one of your mop buckets into a dinner plate. Because you're going to have to work really hard to make sure that it's pure enough that anyone's going to want to eat off it. You know, how do, we, how do you and I, if we're a mop bucket, you know, that has all the rubbish in it, how do we cleanse ourselves so that we can be fit for God's use? You know, so that we're fit to eat off or that we're fit to decorate the lounge room. How can we do that? Of course, the truth is, Uh, the only way that we can do that is through the gospel. It's the great promise of the gospel that through Christ, through his death and resurrection and through the Holy Spirit that Jesus pours out onto us, we're cleansed from sin. We're cleansed from the impurity that lives within us. And Paul's saying to Timothy, that's what you need to do. You need to cleanse yourself. That's, That's not something that you can do in your own power. It's something that God does. It's a miracle that only God can do. But for your part, you're to live constantly seeking God's miracle in your life. The way that you're to cleanse yourself and to make yourself fit for the master's purpose is through the gospel. That is, by continually turning away from sin, leaving it at the cross, confessing it to God, seeking his forgiveness, and asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the gospel, turning away from wickedness, where to cleanse ourselves and to make ourselves fit for God's service. So if there are things in your life that you need to deal with, you need to deal with them. The way that you will survive in a mixed church is by cleansing yourself and making yourself fit for God's use, by turning away from sin. So if you need to deal with greed, then you need to deal with it, to turn away from it and to seek God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's pride... You need to turn away from that and seek the cleansing of God. If it's worldliness or or, or bitterness or uh, or sexual sin uh, or prayerlessness or a failure to trust God, whatever it is, you need to turn away from that, to cleanse yourself from that through seeking the power of the gospel in order that you can be fit for God's purpose in the church. Don't run around worrying about what everyone else is doing, first and foremost. Make sure that you're fit to serve God in his church. 
So how can we be prepared for the difficulties that we face in the church? Well, the first way is by understanding the challenges. The second way is by fixing our, our, our sights on the truth and by cleansing ourselves from, from evil. The last way that we can be prepared uh, for the challenges in the church is by understanding how we relate to other people in the church. So the reality is, uh, as we've seen, that the church is a mixed church. There are people who are both real Christians and there are people who are, who are false Christians uh, of varying degrees. And, and as a leader in the church, Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy has a responsibility to deal with that. He's a leader in the church and he has a responsibility to deal with that. But what Paul says to Timothy about how to deal with that is helpful for all of us in knowing how we can relate to others in the church as well. So in this section, Paul uh, outlines three categories of people and and he explains to us how we deal with people in those different categories. So first of all, he says in verse 22, there are those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So those are the people who who are trusting in Jesus, they're relying on Jesus, they're calling uh, daily on Jesus for his grace and, and his help, uh, and they're doing that. They're not perfect people. You know, they're not kind of, uh, they're not, they don't have everything together, but they're calling out on, on the Lord from a pure heart. That is, they're sincere in their trust in Jesus and their desire to follow him and, and seek his grace. Paul says... With those people who are calling on God out of a pure heart, Paul says with those people, we're to pursue righteousness, we're to pursue faith and love and peace. In other words, we're to join with those people in pursuing the Christian life. We're to join with them in growing to be more like Jesus, uh, in putting Jesus on. We're to work together with them in growing in love and in kindness. So we're not supposed to be, you know, you might think, oh, we're in a, I'm in a mixed church, here I am, I have to be an island and, and, and make sure that I've got it all together and, not, and sort of avoid everybody else. But Paul says, no, that's not right. What you need to do is you need to find the people who are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart and you need to gather together with those people and lock arms together with those people and run for the Lord Jesus Christ and keep running and keep working together to grow together uh, in maturity in him. Uh, that working together with those people doesn't, uh, doesn't mean that we're always, you know, sort of uh, saying nice things. Paul says to Timothy that he has to keep reminding them, verse 14, of these things and he needs to warn them before God. So even as we're locking arms together, There's always a danger that we'll drift away uh, and so we need to keep reminding and encouraging each other to keep going. Uh, That's Timothy's role as a church leader, obviously, but it's also the task for all of us. Uh, As you parent your your child uh, or as uh, you lead a ministry in the church uh, or as you are a member of a growth group or as you... Uh, come and sit in the pew week after week or as you go home and you uh, spend time with your family or with your friends or as you set foot in the office this week, it's your job with those Christians around you to keep reminding them to fix their eyes on Jesus and to warn them before God. T- 
Timothy says, for those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, we're to work together with them, encouraging and warning and reminding them. The second category then of people that Timothy has to deal with are those who oppose him. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So there are people in Timothy's church who are actively opposing him and actively opposing his ministry. Uh, In fact, they are, Paul says, people who have been taken captive by Satan and are doing his will. Uh, So they think, actually, that they're doing the will of Jesus, but they've been taken captive by the devil uh, and are serving his aims. That seems extraordinary, but it's it's, it's a reality. I know a church. Uh, I know of a church a few years ago where there was a man who was in that congregation who was actively and spiritedly opposing the ministry of the pastor. Uh, th- this man was teaching grave error, uh, and he was gathering around himself a group of people who shared his views. Uh, he was tearing the church to pieces. Uh, And it even got to the point where he was so emboldened that he would call out in the middle of the sermon and object to what the pastor was saying. It can happen. Active opposition to the ministry of the church. But even where things are not that bad, and by God's grace, they're not often that bad, But even where they're not that bad, there can still be theological confusion and theological error. How do we respond to that? How do we deal with that? Well, God says to us here in Timothy, we're to resist getting sucked into stupid arguments and instead we're to patiently teach those who oppose us with kindness and without resentment. Don't waste your time on the things that don't matter Use your time on the things that do matter and pray that God will grant people who are misguided repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Teach with great patience and careful instruction. So there are those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We work together with them. There are those who might oppose us or who are theologically confused or teaching error. Those people we should gently instruct and pray for them. Finally, though, Paul says there are those who are thoroughly corrupt. They're the people he mentions at the beginning of chapter 3 who are taking advantage of people, uh, who have the appearance of godliness on the outside, but inside uh, 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 love themselves and nothing else. Paul says those people are rejected by God. How do we respond to them? Verse 5 have nothing to do with such people. As we've seen, not everybody in the church is a Christian. And sometimes there are people in the church who are so desperately corrupt that we should have nothing to do with them. That's a hard thing to say. 
But if their presence is like gangrene, which is destroying and corrupting the church, then that needs to be done for the safety and the security of God's people. Of course, in a church setting, there's a role there for the leadership of the church to exercise church discipline, that is to meet with those people and to, and to go through a process of calling them to repentance uh, and calling them to, to turn to the truth. And if they refuse to do that, then to uh, uh, warn them and to make it clear that as far as can be discerned, they have no share in the faith uh, once for all entrusted to the saints. Uh, there's a, in a church setting, there's, there's that role, I think, for, for a leadership, uh, although that extends out to all of us as well. But even at a personal level, there are times when we might need to employ these instructions from Paul. There are times when we might have to avoid people who claim to know Christ but whose life denies it and who are so utterly corrupted and godless that they are leading others astray. The hope, of course, in taking these steps is that those people will realise what they've what they're doing, that realise that they're far from the truth and repent. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 5 where he talks about, where he leads the church through a process of putting someone out of, out of the church because of their, uh, because of their life uh, and, and belief. Paul says the hope really is that they come back. Sometimes that happens but sometimes it doesn't. But that costly discipline still needs to be exercised for the sake of the church and for the sake of the vulnerable and the weak. I don't need to say that the church's failure to deal with the corrupt and godless in the church has hurt many people people who were abused by people in positions of authority who were godless and corrupt and with whom the church failed to deal with. It's not pleasant, but for the safety and the security and the, of the people of God, we need to hold fast to that truth and have nothing to do with such people. Well, it would be nice to think that we didn't need to prepare ourselves for these kinds of troubles in the church. But again and again, the New Testament shows us that we do need to prepare ourselves. We don't need to be afraid because the God whom we trust is the God who is building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We don't need to be afraid, but we do need to be prepared so that when we face those challenges, we can trust God. When we face those challenges, we can be prepared as people who are sticking to the truth, people who have cleansed ourselves and prepared ourselves for God's service, and so that we can be prepared, working together with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, teaching those who oppose us, and having nothing to do with those who are utterly corrupt. Let's pray.
Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that this church is your church. The church is your church. And that you're building it uh, throughout time uh, and throughout the whole world and calling people to yourself through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, and thank you that the gates of hell cannot prevail against your work in building your church and gathering your people. Lord, thank you for the great blessing that it is to be part of a community of faith. Lord, thank you for the love and the kindness uh, that we experience daily and weekly from each other. Lord, thank you for that great gift. Thank you for the encouragement that we can be to each other. Uh, and thank you that we can spur each other on uh, as we call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But Lord, we also pray that you would help us to be prepared for the challenges that we might face in the church, challenges, Lord, that even your apostles faced in the early days of the church, challenges which have been faced for 2,000 years and challenges that we will still face today. Lord, help us to be prepared for that. Help us to pre prepare ourselves to be workers approved by you for service in your church and in your world and help us to know and to be wise in how we deal with others. Help us to work together with each other, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Help us to patiently teach and correct those uh, who are, oppose us. And Lord, help us to have the courage and the strength to have nothing to do with those who are corrupt and godless and who are taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable. Lord, give us the strength to do that, we ask it, through your Holy Spirit, so that your church might truly be a light shining in a dark place. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.